Welcome to the Force Matters podcast, powered by Motusi. I'm J.D. Romick. And I'm Jonathan Ang. We're here to have disruptive, inclusive, and informative dialogue at the intersection of technology, research, and clinical practice. Our promise to sort through the BS so you don't have to. Our focus is what matters to your musculoskeletal health. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Force Matters podcast. I'm J.D. Romick. I'm John Ng. And we've been having some really great podcasts lately, really amazing guests. And we've still been getting questions like we love that people are hitting us up via um, our either email or social media. They're connecting with us there. Yeah. Um, and if you want to check out our uh, website, motusi.com, M-O-T-U-S-I.com, mm-hmm. um, connect with us. But we've been getting some questions about tangible, t- like, and we love giving people tools, but tools in the clinic that we use, say if we find like an asymmetry, like if someone is loading their non-surgical leg more than their surgical leg, how do we get an exercise to load the quads more? Or how do we uh, load the glutes? Because we know glute strength is important for uh, knee, knee pain and different conditions. So I think we're gonna dissect and get into that a little bit, give people some exercise therex knowledge. Yeah. John, you're a former strength and conditioning coach and PT, so you've had a lot of experience in this area. I taught therex last year at George Fox, which I loved, but still not being able to deep dive as much to give people variety, because some of it's, to me, it's creativity too. Yeah, and it's also, I think, meeting the patient right where they're at in terms of their capability, their capacity, and also like, the way I look at it is like there's three legs to the stool, right? There's strength, length, and control, mm-hmm. right? And they may have the strength and the length, but they don't have the control. So that means that's a different type of activity that I might choose versus they have great control, they have length, but they have no strength, right? And, yeah. Can you give uh, an example? Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's say a single leg activity, right? Okay. Someone might have... Uh, like comparable sides, right? They just don't have uh, the control, right? They might be um, doing well with their force generation on 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 the rehab leg, mm-hmm. but they they haven't they're still haven't figured out um, the control moving into flexion, for example, right? Okay. Like so, so then that means that we're gonna use some strategies, and so. Okay, so let's be super useful. One of the things that I love to use in the clinic more than anything is a rocker board. Okay. And why do I use a rocker board as opposed to, you know, a disc or a foam pad or a BOSU ball? And the reason is because of I want, I don't want 360 challenge. Mm -hmm. I want that frontal plane challenge and there's a logic behind this that when we allow someone to balance on the floor or balance on a 360 thing and you increase the challenge and and I'll fully tr- transmit like uh, uh, be transparent transparent yes yep, yep. that you know and I, I say this to my patients I'm like there's no science behind this but this is what I found clinically right mm-hmm. so um, I apologize that we're sort of deviating a little bit from that but we do say, clinical, uh, you know, like research, technology, and and clinical, right? So um, is that the 360 challenge, 
what what I found is that people tend to lean more towards the ball of their foot, right? Mm-hmm. Which then is going to get a bit more of that gastroxoleus, the Achilles complex involved, right? Mm-hmm. For the plantar flexion stability. But if we limit the challenge to the frontal plane using a rocker board, they really have very little other option to strategize. Kind of like that constraint like yes. that Eric was talking about on his podcast. They have no other option but to find But to strategies. use flexor hallucis longus, flexor digitorum, right? Pro, uh, posterior tib, right? And the peroneals. Mm-hmm. And so when you have to use those things to stabilize, uh, and and if you go up the chain, right, you, you know, you're going to use those posterior rotators of the, of the hip and whatnot, right. right? Like those are, that's a technique that I really love to use in, in order to help them improve that control. Yeah, I right. love that. Thinking about that, Eric, when he was in here on his podcast, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. It is incredible. He has this very physics mind and this way of understanding how to train the system. This is something I subconsciously did, understanding from a biomechanics analysis, if an ACL patient post-op has quad deficit, which we know they do even up to your post-op, and a lot of the time it's because you're not recruiting your quad enough mm-hmm. or um, we find really like different strategies to offload that leg or use something else to support the leg and ways that you can isolate the quad. He had this really fun thing that you were just doing against the wall, mm. which is you get your yourself all the way up against the wall with your heels or you're up on your toes on your heels as high as you can go. That's like your your locked in point. So you take out the gastroxoleus and then you dive the knees forward. So you're kind of in this upright, goofy, for, knees over toes forward squat and you are using all quad. Yeah, and the key that he mentioned, right, was making sure that as you begin the, the descent, right, mm-hmm. as you go into knee flexion, that the heels have to disengage from the wall, right? So yes. you have to be just on the balls of your feet. Yes. And so one exercise that I found in the clinic and on the force plates is people doing that than walking. So they're kind of doing, I call it a duck walk, but people have another duck walk where you get like really low and squatty. And I find that doesn't feel super great on the knees, but you stay tall and you walk on your toes with your knees over your toes forward. Uh And once you pick up one leg, you have to be on that leg by itself or solo. And some people have a reduced stride length. So it's figuring out, can they step at the same length up on that toe with their upper body upright, but then I have the visual feedback of the force plate. So it's Uh, helpful. But even if I don't have that, now I know this activity really isolates and loads the quad. So when you're doing that in the lab, are you having them walk over the force plate? Okay, so not just stepping on the force plate, boom, 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 boom. Right. You could do that, I'm sure. Like, And I don't play around with it, honestly, more enough like i could find new ways of doing it but i really try to use the it's really using the kinematics so i'm not using kinetics which Mm -hmm. is what the motusi suit kind of gives me is the kinetics of am i on that knee the same amount as the other or Mm -hmm. if you have some type of force output um measurement system like a a dynamometer or tin deck or something you can actually see what's happening but um i use the kinematics roughly so it's it's more of like where's that ground reaction force going it's going into the hip so that that internal moment of the leg is into that knee extension. So you're really isolating the quads. So I love that for isolating the quads. I also love using a um, kind of a rep max with a Bulgarian or a rear foot elevated split squat. Rear foot elevated, yeah. Yep, where you're going knee over toe. Again, it 
if they're having significant pain, you can back off of that, but it really isolates the quad or you, even for me, if you don't have the visual right there, you don't have the biomechanics or you don't have objective measures, is your patient's thigh fatiguing? Do they feel that on the yeah, there's quad? Not, I, I don't know if you've found this maybe in the lab when you test this, but like, is there a way to cheat on a bulk? <laughs> you know, I'm sure there can be probably a lot of trunk lean. So if you're yeah. leaning your trunk forward, it kind of takes the quad out a little bit. And but maybe that, that, that elevated leg could be trying to come into flexion yep. as it tries to scissor and then yep. pop you up. Exactly. So you can be leaning most of your force on the back leg. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll even have them do a lunge, one foot on one force plate, one foot on the other and then compare the legs, how high is that vertical ground reaction force on mm. one foot versus the other. And oftentimes when the surgical or involved leg is back, that ground reaction force arrow is much, much less. And then when the healthy leg is back, that ground reaction force is much, much more. Mm. So they're using the opposite leg to counter some of that. However, what I will counter is if you're loading that thigh and you're getting it to fatigue and you're progressing that weight and you can monitor it somehow you're still going to get some benefit care. it's like right. you get a little benefit anyway yeah. so if you don't have the technology quite yet in your clinic i would encourage you get something some type of force transducer or uh, force plate so that you can play around with it like i find therex is, and like what we're talking about right now is like giving activities is I mean, it just feels really lame to just be like, here, do this for your squat or here, do this to get quad engagement, but like play around with it. No, it has to be an engagement. Like yes. you have to be as fully engaged with that as possible. I'm just spitballing here, but I'm thinking like just in practice, how could you monitor that back foot is like just get a scale. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good idea too. <laughs> right? Yeah. An old school scale where the thing goes boing, boing, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can just be like, no, man, I want, I want this much right. amount of weight, right? And I'm not, I have no idea what that number would be, Brett, but we'd have to play around with that. Totally, I like that. And it d also depends on, again, kind of talking, going back to Eric's, even Zach's podcast, talking about the specificity or like what matters to your patient. Mm -hmm. If you get them in the clinic and they don't want to do a barbell back squat because they're like, eh, I just, I'm not going to seek that out. I'm not going to do it. Or they don't know how to use barbell. Or they don't know how to use barbell. <laughs> so right. you're, you're dealing with a population that, figure out what they do yep. in their environment and then figure out ways to load it progressively more and more. Maybe it's a farmer, load their bucket. I, I mean, I don't know how many farmers go to totally. PT. They're probably just gritting yeah, but, it out. Or but they're more of an outdoorsy person, totally. right? And they're like, I, gyms make me creepy, like mm -hmm. feel weirded out, right? right? And there's ways that you can do that with, you know, repeated step-ups or with, you know, like different right. types of movements that would be relevant to their sport. Right. And by the way, step ups don't recruit a ton of quad. I thought Correct. they might. And, no, and it's I a thought, glute one, right? Uh, yep. And I thought squats might as well, but squats, unless you're really keeping your torso up and not getting your knees forward, like yeah. you're not really getting a ton of quad engagement. So, all right, JD. So, so let's, for the, our listeners, let's, uh, what are some of your best quad loading exercises that you love to love yeah. to do? Let's say let's say you you don't have a leg extension. Yep, yep. <laughs> right. Uh, tell, let's go for it. Right. No fancy equipment. So um, I love that first one I was talking about with being up on your balls of your feet, the upright squatting wall slide. down, upright wall slide, and then walking with it is kind of a fun dynamic activity to really get fatigued. You can even just pick one foot up, tap, and then back, and then pick one foot up, tap. You can even tap to a metronome so that you know that you're getting the same timing and the same duration, but then obviously monitoring for 
any compensations if people are leaning their torso forward or well but yeah so even so it was interesting because when i was doing it eric was saying i don't care if you hold on mm -hmm. i want you to i want you i want, i'm not it's not a balance test right this is a can you handle the load test through right. that quad so uh i thought that was pretty interesting and, right. and cool because it's like you know what i don't give a shit of what it looks like i want you to load that quad i want you to know where it feel where you're feeling it right that's pretty cool and a lot of knees over toes things are lo they load the quad and i know we've all been trained in pt it's like oh don't you know yeah. load the knees over toes i'm like yeah. every time you go downstairs every time you walk even sometimes when you run like your knees are going over your toes well, and every you're athletic getting, movement you're getting that force at the knees so why not train it yeah just don't do it if you're painful or don't do it if your patient has no capacity like you want to build them up from ground zero um you know a couple from ground zero just your classic band you know knee extension where you put a band anchor long it Lara quad long arc quad but you're bench. you're standing and you can put a band around the back of the knee and then extend the knee back into the band oh so, so you're standing, standing TK. okay yep got it. standing kind of that that terminal knee extension um to even just get the quad engaged and i'd say that's for super like acute like you yeah. wouldn't do that for a high level athlete or someone who's returning to sport or mm -hmm. um even someone with a little tendonitis i'd probably load them a little heavier let me ask about this so one of the things i love to do with post-op patients really early uh is get them to retro ambulate on a treadmill yes that's such a great one and that really works the quad and the patellar tendon, quad tendon, mm -hmm. reverse sled pulls are my favorite progression from that. Oh, okay. So if you haven't done a reverse sled pull in clinic, that's amazing. So just loading up a bunch of weight, you can even hold a band and have your patient pull you like with a big exercise yep, band. I so, do that a lot, yeah. So if you daisy chain two of them together, yep. right? One of them's around them, get them hooked, and then the one of them's around you. Yep. And you now can regulate that for them. Right? Totally. Yeah. And one other that I saw at CSM last year with Karen Silbernagel and her quad tendon team. I, I apologize. I don't remember everybody who was presenting, but there was an MD. There were an anatomy presentations. But one of the uh, exercises that stood out was a, a squat. But basically, the back of both tibia are restrained by a strap. And the strap is anchored in front of the body. And then you're sitting back as if you're sitting in a chair, but your torso is staying upright. Yeah. Some people will do that with a weight and they'll do like a crunch with it. I don't always recommend that. That's a really intense progression, especially if you're not prepared for that load. It's really gonna stress the ACL. <laughs> but but doing that with folks that have patellar or quad tendonitis or tendinopathies, it is an insane amount of quad load. It is like all quad load. If you need a chair behind you, put a chair behind you, but the more upright your torso, the more difficult it's gonna be. And I usually have people either, they can hold two poles next to them or hold a band in front of them to kind of steady their torso so they can really load their legs. Yeah, it's not like a strap necessary because then they're gonna be like using right. TRX and they're gonna use those arms to kind of offload, right. which it's okay, but if you yeah. use that stretchy piece, it gives them they still have to strategize. Yeah, it's like you're not fully relying on this stretchy thing because you don't want to fall backwards, <laughs> right? But you're using your legs enough and go through the range that you can at the time and then continue to progress people. I, I that's, a, that's a great one that I feel like I forgot about a lot. Yeah. What about yours for glutes? <laughs> I, I don't think you have to get that complicated. I agree. I Like a, a glute bridge mm -hmm. gets your ass on. It's hard. Yes. And then add weight. Right. And and where I like to go is I like to, I really 
it's e so much easier to highlight to somebody that their glutes, their, well, sorry, that their glute max is not on par with the other mm -hmm. side when you just have them uh, do a supine glute bridge single leg, right? It's hard. Um, I, I think one nuance I think that gets lost a lot with, with glute bridges is um, a, a specific cue I ask all patients to do is I said, I, I really need you to cross your arms and your chest because I don't, we all know the difference if you try this, right? Like keep your elbows down on the ground and press through your elbows mm -hmm. and that significantly changes your, your ability to do a glute bridge, right? Yeah. And um, I, I'll go again without any science here. Maybe there is science behind it, but like my theory is that you're stabilizing through your thoracolumbar fascia, mm -hmm. right? And you're stabilizing from the top down and now you're able, able to, to, to pull that pelvis up, right? As opposed to having instability on the on the upper by by crossing your arms in the chest and now you're having to use the the glute and their the glute max and its supporters to now stabilize on a single leg so and i'd argue i've had people get tricep cramps doing yeah. a glute bridge or even like the hamstring bridges where you bridge up on the, the physio ball curl the hamstrings in and then back out people who are bracing with their arms on the ground which you kind of need for stability with that one because you have a big ball that you're trying to control but people can use their arms so much with that and you're extending through those elbows. I've had people get tricep cramps. I'm like, oh, okay, this yeah. is, <laughs> this is yeah. another point where uh, we've got to get some hydration too, but your triceps are cramping. It's such a bizarre thing. Well, and I think, anyway. I think one of those type of, that type of exercise, like I, I love that exercise, but it's also appropriately applying that, right? Because I think sometimes you'll, you know, I. I I was guilty of it in my early, early days of personal training, right? That uh, it, there's circus ex exercises, right? Like mm -hmm. if I, you should be able to explain and answer the question to your patient, why are you doing this exercise? Mm -hmm. Every single thing that you choose, right? Yeah. There should be an explanation why. You don't have to tell them why, right? But, um, but you should have a reason for doing each one of those things, right? And so, I don't know, maybe you want to strengthen the triceps and that's a great exercise to do it, right? But um, you know, how many people need to be in that position to do that, to strengthen a hamstring, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't love the term functional training, but that's not a real movement that we do in right. the world, right? It does isolate, right? Uh, I think. Kind of. I don't, I mean, you're using a lot that's of where I feel it, you know? Right. But I don't know that it's just the hamstrings. I mean, it's also your gastrocs that are crossing the mm -hmm. knee on the posterior side. So, I mean, it, yeah. Um, okay, best way to isolate hamstrings. I have my favorites, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there's the ubiquitous Nordic. Nordics are very, not underrated because people know about them and they use them. They're hard. Oh, they're hard as shit. And they, and I think one of the things is it's just to make your patients aware of how sore they're going to be mm -hmm. from that. Um, I also tend to really love um, long axis bridges. Yeah, I like those too. So you're saying when you're on your back, you hit bridge up walk the heels out yeah or just have fully like extended knees mm -hmm. uh and you're you're doing a bridge yes. and you're keeping the knees extended right yeah and if you then isolate single leg again with arms crossed mm -hmm. right you're gonna be able to elicit those differences in that posterior chain stability but it is it, i know it's glute but it, i i feel like the hamstrings get really really worked right. in that position yeah, it's yeah. I, I love that one as well. I know I've seen some people do those bridges where you do it on a band 
and then you go quick back and oh, forth, yeah. like yeah. really trying to fatigue the hamstrings or fatigue the ex extensor, hip extensors, yeah. knee flexors, whatever you're getting back there, you're probably getting a, a good um, combination. But runners, people that have to do um, a lot of repetition and have good endurance in their hamstrings, I really like that exercise too. Flip them over on their bellies and prone mm -hmm. uh, on the bench and have them do flutter kicks just from knee flexion. Oh, okay. Right? So like they're kicking their butt kind of? Uh, yeah, but so you have them kind Extended of oscillate, kind of. oscillate between like slow, bigger range of motion. Okay. And then faster end range knee kicks, right? Because, you know, we hamstring has to work through that full range mm -hmm. and often it's that end range flick yeah. That is, you know, especially if they're more of a sprinter athlete or if they're, you know, mm -hmm. that end range and that ability for the muscle to be able to decelerate and then accelerate. Yeah. I change, love that. Change of direction for it. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, glute mead. So everybody likes to blame the glute mead for a lot of knee stability problems, patellofemoral pain, whatever the mechanism is that's happening, the glute mead likes to be loaded or is underloaded and we should load it more? Well, I mean, I think in fair in fairness, like it, in some regard, you see it get lengthened and weakened just in some people's standing posture, right? Mm -hmm. They'll kick that hip out and they'll be like, oh man, I get this. But the minute you start to strengthen that, all of a sudden their pain goes away, right? Mm -hmm. So you get this sort of tendinopathy tendinopathic type of scenario, right? Yeah. Um, I also like to call it sometimes inactivity related pain. I had a yeah. long conversation about this with Tyler is that people get achy and they get stiff and they get painful when they don't move mm -hmm. and when they don't load a joint and then you ask it to do things or maybe you don't ask it to do things. You're like, why am I so sore? It's like, you don't really have a lot of input there all the time. So our body gets this kind of reflexive, like nervous system, central nervous system response where we perceive like, oh, we've got to, we've got to do something there. And that's why my bias is always to load people. I think mm -hmm. Therix is an amazing solution for it. So yeah, didn't mean to interrupt there, but tangentially like people get sometimes this pain and why do we respond well to load? Because the body adapts to that load and our pain response lessens because we decrease the sensitivity of the system, I mm -hmm. think as a whole. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, what was the question? Was it glute mead glute strengthening? Mead? Yeah. This one's a little bit weird. Uh, it, I'll see if I can explain it well enough so people can visualize it. Okay. So band around the ankles. Okay. Right? We all seen this side steps, right? Yep. But a band around the ankles, I use some sort of visual reference point. So whether it's a seam in the carpet, whether it's a line on the floor, but I have people toe up to the line, they stand tall, and they slightly internally rotate the feet, right? So the toes are slightly turned in, so the heels are kind of poked out, mm -hmm. right? And taking short, quick, choppy sidesteps to one direction, mm -hmm. along making sure that we don't cross that, like come over that line as we're moving side to side to side, mm -hmm. and then coming on back. Here's here's the rationale for it. Is, so is it like, High knees back and nope. forth? Is it nope. like kicking out to the side, like on the toes? Like it, it's just like your toes are slightly turned in, you're you're flat, you know, you're on your feet, flat footed, and you're just taking short, quick, choppy okay, sidesteps. Just short, just side steps, but yep. the bands around the ankles, not around the feet. 
Yep, it's around okay. the ankles. It could be around the feet if you want to get a little bit more peroneal work in there. But um, and sometimes I will do that to double up. But in this case, it's just for the glute med. And so the visual reference point is so that they're taking true side steps because if they start to deviate away from that and cross over that that line, now you're starting to go into hip flexion, right? And which would suggest that you may end up be using your TFLs or your hip flexors mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. instead of your hip extensors or your abductors, which okay. would include mead, right? Yeah. Uh, the other reason, and then, so the other piece is why do we have toes slightly turned in? Well, you have them turned in a little bit so that you can de-emphasize, if you will, the TFL from working, right? Because oftentimes you end mm. up getting that TFL compensating for the lack of that lateral posterior hip contribution. Okay. Right? So the cueing is that I want you to feel it in those back pocket muscles. Okay. Right? And initially they will feel it in the front and you'll feel that TFL being super, mm. you know, compensatory, if you will. But as they do more and you and you keep training them and keep cueing them within that same session, they will be feeling it in the glutes. Yeah. And, and quicker uh, and choppier is one of the other keys because if they'll if you watch them slow down they just use the torso for that momentum mm. mm -hmm. right and so now yeah they're still using their glute med you can't not but it's different because now you're not abducting now you're just tilting right. and ice holding isometrically right okay okay so i get uh, on board with that um any other ways you like to load it i like sideline bicycles oh okay it like, sounds super remedial, but sideline bicycles, if you, you know, you're sideline, um, you know, the, the bottom leg is bent as much as you want from a stability to keep you stable on your side. But if you really go through a cyclical, like sideline bicycle, yeah. and you're really being conscious about that midline, Mm -hmm. Sort of an imaginary midline, like they're they're hovering over that midline, right. not letting the not letting the leg adduct. Yeah, or you know, you know the rotation components, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can see a lot of that compensation piece, right? I mean, you're gonna instantly they're they're gonna instantly tell you exactly where they feel that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like that. Um, I love so I hate I hate clamshells actually. Um, I just feel like they're such a easy exercise that are kind of a cop out and I get they do load the glute meat uh -huh. and, yep. and they yeah, can yeah. help yep. with that rotation. I prefer standing single leg, basically like a standing clamshell. So one leg is down yep. and isolated, band yep. around the knees. Band around the knees, yep. Knee rotates on the axis of the glute, or mm -hmm. excuse me, the uh, the femur and like acetabular connection point. But the hips stay forward. You're basically just rotating knees away from each other and the the knee that's up goes to the back of the room. Mm -hmm. Knee underneath is slightly bent. Mm -hmm. Torso is slightly leaning forward. So you're creating a little bit more room for that uh, that knee to go backwards. And using heavier and heavier bands, mm -hmm. I, I love loading that way. Standing abduction is great to do banded as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some things it's like, can we just isolate the way the muscle moves mm -hmm. normally? Mm -hmm. And then how do we load that? I think I always had that premise with my Therex students. It was like last year, we had to go through MMT in my class for some reason. It wasn't in biomechanics. Don't oh, don't use I don't use MMT a lot anyway, but it's yeah. part of the board, so we have to teach it. And so we basically used it as a how do we load? Let's load whatever it is we're trying to get that break maneuver with the MMT. Yeah. 
and find a way to load it. Yeah. So that's my encouragement, I guess, as we get close to the end of this podcast is like, if we didn't cover a body part that you're like, I need to know how to load the middle trap or the lower trap. Okay, what's the MMT position for it? How can you increase the load either concentric, isometrically or eccentrically and load it? And is it relevant to my patient's work and what they do? Yeah. I find therics can be boiled down to like creativity and anatomy and biomechanics, like figure out a way to load it. So one of the other ways I, I just kind of remember it and like, cause it's, it's just, you just amass these things, right? Mm-hmm. Over time in your clinical practice and whatnot, right? So one of the ways glute mead from a, in a more upright and more realistic way mm-hmm. uh, is a back lunge, mm, right? Yeah. But I have them do it in a mirror. And what I'll, what I'll do is I'll put the stance leg on a yoga mat. Okay. And when they step back, I don't let them step back onto the yoga mat, right? Because if you really mm. are watching what your patient is doing, yeah. they will be able to compensate by going from being on train tracks to being on a tightrope, yeah. right? And that's going to just cause pelvic drop, right? Or hip a deduction, yeah. right? Or femoral a deduction on that stance leg. Now, if you have them step back and they're on train tracks Mm -hmm. and now they have to drive back up, they have to support that on that the, the glute mead, right? Yeah. And if you start to unilaterally load, so if you might put it on the right side, that's how you can really improve yeah. that function. And I use a lot of different ways for that tactile feedback, right? It might be I just stand behind them with a tall foam roller and I just put it there right where I want it. So I like they're gonna kick it and they're like, ah shit, and they might fall over, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. It's fine. But it gives them that feedback and then they realize they're like, oh my God, I've been doing back lunges or I've been doing these movements so wrong because I don't feel it where you're making me feel it now. Right. Yeah, that's cool. And I like the the cues of the visual cues and then as well as like your your patient's internal cues because internal cues don't work. If you say flex your quad, people are going to be no. like, what the heck am I doing? But if you say um, drive your knee over your toe, use an internal or excuse me, an external cue, they'll be able to feel it and then know, okay, if I'm not feeling the way John made me feel doing that lunge or whatever that movement was that you gave them a guide a guide rail, they're going to know they're not doing it right. And they mm-hmm. develop that themselves and then you empower the heck out of them. So anyway. yeah, they have to be able to feel it uh, to internalize it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess some of those, those last pieces are big takeaways for us. Just get creative, uh, give your patients some external cues and not every exercise is going to be doable for everyone. You know, you really have to work up to it. So find things that are relevant to your patient too. Yep. And communication, right? Because by meeting someone's body where it's at is the way you bring it along best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, you got, you, you have to have an arsenal of, of tools in order to meet the demands that the patient might have for you, right? Totally. Because it's it's not one exercise is going to do it for each patient, right? right? And so you have to be able to appropriately adjust when mm-hmm. when needed in mid stride, right? And keep it simple. I think we tend to overcomplicate yeah. movements, and and I think if our patient feels what they need to feel, if we're treating the condition as it should be treated, you know, tendonitis, tendinopathies you know, increasing load, increasing resilience of the tendon. If it's something that's post-op, being able to progress people from really simple activation and engagement to 
you know, return to sport type activities. There's kind of a nice progression in there. We can get more specific if there are injuries that you all want to hear covered. If there's a case that you run into in the clinic that's really complicated, um, maybe we can use this podcast as a space to like break that down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so send us your your questions, your comments, your patient cases. Maybe um, it's something we can all learn from um, if it doesn't reach you right on time. But if we don't get to it, before you have your patient return, we'll try to respond on Instagram or wherever you reach out to us, and then we can cover it on the podcast as well so other people can learn from it. Yeah, I feel like we've been firing on this podcast, but uh, hopefully it wasn't verbal overload for people. Yeah, and have fun, keep moving, and we'll see you next time. You bet. You've been listening to the Force Matters Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and really want to hear from you. If you have questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can find us at motusi.com on our blog page or DM us on Instagram at motusicorp. See you next time. And until then, keep moving. Keep moving.